Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior. If you're new here, welcome. And thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention by lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource you possess, that's your time. Today's entrepreneur is none other than Nico Johnson himself. The man who is driving Suncast Media forward, and you probably could tell by the sound of my voice when I said, hey there, Solar Warrior, that uh, I am not Nico. In fact, I am Sean Tanabe, the Business Development Manager of Energy Storage, covering California for my company, Peak Power Energy, a Canadian clean tech company based in Toronto, Ontario. Now, in this episode, I am so excited to dive a bit further into the mind of Nico, into what he sees at the controls in driving Suncast forward, and bringing so much value to all of us, his beloved solar warriors and listeners. Now, I hope you're subscribed to the show as that will ensure you won't miss out on your twice weekly content just like this. Of course, you can always check out over 600 additional clean energy founder stories and career advice at www.mysuncast.com. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, solar warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Nico, how'd I do? Not bad, Sean. That's uh, every, you see, everyone can be a podcaster, Sean. That's the, that is the takeaway for me, right? As we, as we kick off the 600th episode of Suncast. That's got to sound pretty remarkable to your ears, Nico, when you say 600. I mean, what, uh, what comes to mind when you hear that number? Oh, a lot of late nights, a lot of, (laughs) a lot of time invested. Some might call it sacrifice. You know, a funny story that a lot of my close friends know is that of 600 episodes, I'd wager 300 or more have been produced between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. And it truly has been a labor of love, a passion project until it became a full-time, uh, a full-time gig, a side project that turned into my main project. 600 episodes is for me just another 100 episodes because I'm on the path to a thousand episodes. Ask me a thousand episodes how I feel because that's what I said when I hit a hundred episodes is, you know, I'm not going to slow down or look back until I hit a thousand. Uh, right now we're doing a little over a hundred episodes a year. So sometime in the next three and a half years, we'll hit a thousand episodes, which is pretty crazy. That blows my mind. But equally important is uh, in 600 episodes, we've had something around now we've eclipsed 750,000 downloads. So not only a path on path to a thousand episodes, but a million downloads. And, you know, yeah, there are episodes uh, or podcasts like uh, Energy Gang and Catalyst that have a much, much bigger audience that are getting, you know, tens of thousands of downloads an episode. And my hat's off to them. Um, I actually look up to those folks. They inspired me to believe that a podcast uh, about solar in Latin America was a possibility. And uh, I've proven so many uh, we, the solar warriors, uh, I mean, folks that listen to Suncast every week, I've proven so many folks wrong when I 
believed that it was possible to monetize and make a living uh, from my voice, not uh, in a recording studio making record labels, as I thought I would at one point in my career, but, you know, in my own home built studio, sharing the stories of fellow solar warriors along the path with us. Fantastic, Nico. And, you know, as a, a listener, as a, a solar warrior, I, uh, I'm truly grateful to be in this position to have a chance to sit down with you. And, uh, you know, frankly, I know many others would love to spend time with you in this setting, hmm. picking your brain. And so, you know, before we dive in fully, I just want to say to the audience, this one is for all of you listeners out there. And my hope is by the end of this episode, we'll all have had a chance to get a, a peek behind the curtain of what it takes to build and run an industry-leading podcast and media platform, and have an understanding of what it's like from your vantage point in the driver's seat. So in this interview, I want to learn about where you've been, what, mm. what got you to the point you're at now, and where you see yourself and Suncast going. And, and I've got questions, some for myself and, and some from your audience too. Oh, I love it. Secrets. You, you mentioned, Nico, you, you mentioned uh, 100 episodes a year, more or less. Do you kind of view the, the building out of your, of your episodes, or, or rather the building out of your uh, overall content and, and body of work as kind of a sprint of sorts? Do you, do you see it as 100 sprints or so uh, per year? Or how do you kind of think about that? I'm really glad that you used that terminology because it wasn't clear to me in the beginning that I needed to think about it in that, with that mindset. I am a runner, as many people know, and I've trained for many marathons. I've run four marathons, one uh, in the cold and rain on cobblestones in Madrid, which was the most painful and rewarding marathon I've ever run. Um, I actually ran it in four hours uh, with, uh, with like incredible pain, but, but I trained for that marathon uh, in eight weeks. And, um, and what I realized is that it wasn't the eight weeks of intentional training, but the 80 weeks of unintentional training by standing at my standing desk uh, training my hips and core, uh, maintaining a good posture that allowed me to enter the race that I wanted to run with um, what would be considered a, re a relatively minimal amount of training. And I promise there's a point for why I'm talking about this. I started the podcast uh, as a side hobby. Um, I just, I, I would get anybody who would say yes, that I knew was a leader in a segment of um, at first Latin America solar, ideally founders. Um, but if they were, sort of tip of spear going out into the market and, and people recognize them as a leader in the industry. I wanted them on the show, um, but I didn't have a cadence. I didn't have a regular ritual or habit the way that as a runner or a rower or a biker or a cyclist, whatever, you have a habit, you build a habit that gives you the endurance, the ability to persist. And I started to look around at kind of the result and the result was like most podcasters um, or most creators, <laughs> sporadic output. At, at a certain point, I said, well, what if I treated my week like I'm preparing for a marathon? Now, to prepare for a marathon, you have um, short days, long days, and rest days, right? So my wife and I sat down and uh, I said, okay, how do I, how do I actually accomplish this? I'm probably going to need to be doing several long days and I need to have a rest day. And I structured my week much like a runner would to accomplish a marathon. I structured my week to be able to accomplish all these podcast interviews while I was still in full-time work and consulting. And I had 
my family aligned around the fact that Mondays were long days. I was up. I was up early and I was working late. I'd stop for dinner and that was it. And uh, Tuesdays to this day, I don't, they're unstructured. They're my rest day. I take it off. Um, I will occasionally fill it in with personal meetings, catch up meetings, friends, lunch, things like that. And I, for a while, backfilled Tuesday being my off day with Saturdays. I would take interviews on Saturdays because there were so many busy people who would say, oh, it's going to be April before I can interview with you. And and so I would say, well, what about Saturday? And nobody ever offered them a, 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 a day on the weekend, right? And I was surprised the number of folks that we recorded with on Saturdays. After probably 50 or so interviews, I didn't so much look at it as a sprint, although there were so many nights where it was like, we have to publish something tomorrow and I need to do some recording, you know, the intro of the podcast or, or what have you. But instead, I decided uh, there's a book called Going Pro. And uh, I, I read that book and I realized what it looks like to go pro. And this is actually one of the takeaways for me of like 600 episodes is consistency is key. And I just committed, I will record at least one interview a week. And my podcast mentor, John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire, who has become a good friend and, um, and really is an inspiration because he was one of the first to do a daily podcast. He batched his interviews. And when I decided to actually GoPro and batch my interviews, I got up to like 12 weeks of backlog because I was so prolific at interviewing. And it turns out that when I gave people a boundary and said, I only record on Wednesdays and Thursdays between noon on Wednesday and noon on Thursday, and I set my calendar up to do that, it was always full. I never had to worry about when it was going to happen. And every Wednesday and every Thursday, I recorded interviews. And that was the period of time around 20. 19, 2020, heading into the pandemic, that I became uh, a podcaster, that I really sort of created a foundation and a process that supported and, and built a bunch of systems, Sean, that I've shown you that, that support my ability with a very lightweight team to produce one a week and then two a week and now often two a week plus a live broadcast plus something else right? Plus me traveling at the same time. And it is not unlike preparing for a marathon or going to the gym. Everybody who's had the experience of going in and lifting weights recognizes that over time you lift more weight. And the reason is because you gradually add on more stress, right? And there's never a period during an intentional time of of workout where you are trying to build and add mass. There's never a time of lack of stress, right? It's simply a period of intense stress and rest and managing the the pain in between. <laughs> so for me, I just looked at this and said, okay, I know what it looks like to build solar projects. I know what it looks like to build businesses. I know what it looks like to build friendships and relationships. I'm going to try to connect all of those and intentionally show up every week to capture conversations that no one else is capturing in a, in a, in a setting that can be shared because we're all having these mutual conversations, asking each other intimate questions about how do you do this? Where do, how do I fix this error, this mistake? How do I understand how this black box works? And it just didn't seem fair to me. I'm expanding a bit on the 100 um, episode sprints that there were people like you and me, Sean, who weren't founders, who weren't executives yet, who weren't being shared the knowledge necessary to grow in our skills and career because it was being held in the 
sort of, it was the bastion of the few, I'll call it elite, uh, who, who had access to the, the folks who had the knowledge. And I saw Suncast as an opportunity to open the door mentally, if you will, for those folks who had the knowledge to share it openly without feeling the burden of needing to have a pick your brain session or a coffee that really is worth a thousand dollars that folks would be like, Hey, you know, the, the old, can I buy you a coffee? Well, that coffee's worth a thousand dollars. If you really value that 30 minutes of time with an executive who's building a company that's worth several billion dollars. So my gift to the community is not a sprint, but a marathon of digging in to the, the, the why, the how, the, the history behind some of the greatest minds and companies in our industry and uh, trying to get them to show everyone else that they can be vulnerable and authentic and transparent and that they put their pants on one leg at a time, that they don't stand atop uh, any pedestal. In fact, they wonder why anyone put them on a pedestal and they have the same self-defeating thoughts, the same imposter syndrome as everyone else around them. And I often remind folks that uh, if Oprah, having built the empire she built, struggles with imposter syndrome, who are we to doubt ourselves when it, when it creeps in, right? And it's something that I think any, uh, anyone who's trying to attempt to do something outside of ordinary is going to struggle with. So I simply say, I'm going to build a list of people I want to talk to. I'm going to reach out to all of them. Not all of them are going to respond. And I'm going to give an opportunity to stand on a stage I've built to all of those that not I deem worthy, but that have themselves created something worthy of recognition. Incredible. And so along your, your journey of, of door opening, right, for, for us solar warriors on, on the other side, um, I'm curious, you know, what's some feedback that, that you got from, say, a listener, someone you, you interviewed or perhaps another host you've met mm-hmm. in your podcast world that has impacted the way that you yourself host or, or narrate for us in, in our industry? I think I'll pull on the thread of solar warrior itself because there are, it's a polarizing term and it's polarizing intentionally. Uh, I didn't start out for it to be intentional, but I do think that it's important to build a tribe and every tribe has an identity, right? Um, people don't say I'm a part of the Native American tribe. They say I'm a part of the, uh, the Choctaw or the Cherokee tribe, right? And um, that identity is something that we as an industry, we identify with, but we didn't have a name for. And I, uh, like all good artists, stole the idea of Solar Warrior from a professor that I was taking a class from at UC Berkeley. He signed off on his emails, uh, have a great day, Solar Warriors. And I thought, man, that's really cool. So I started using it and uh, others have used it since then. But I did get feedback that it it felt to some folks a little aggressive, a little too male. Um, Although there are great examples. If you haven't seen Woman King, it's a fantastic movie. There are great examples in history of female warriors. I don't think that the idea of a warrior is itself a, um, a male or a gender oriented idea. I think it is something that is a call to arms. And I think others felt, you know, I've got feedback predominantly from females that they felt it was a little too masculine, a little too, uh, aggro, a little too, um, defensive. And, um, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. And I also am okay with folks asking not to be called solar warrior, which I honored on several occasions on the show. 
And I'm okay with the, I mean, I think very few in the industry have been um, as vocally open about saying it, there's not an us versus them in this industry. It's, it's just us. There's no verses. That said, the feedback around Solar Warrior has actually helped me catalyze my thinking around what it looks like to build a tribe. People need something to identify with. And they, I've had so many people come up to me and say that they identify as a Solar Warrior, yourself included. The other feedback is I got somebody early on who somebody said, I wish I could remember who it was. They said, Nico, you seem to believe that Suncast is a side project, a hobby for you, and that we all in the industry see the other things you're doing as your main thing and Suncast is a side hobby. But he said the, the inverse is true. And this was, I'll never forget it. It was July or August of, um, of 2019. And it was a really difficult time in my life as well. I believe it was at RE+, RE Plus. it might've been at SPI, um, Salt Lake, Salt Palace. He said, the, the opposite is true. Everybody else on LinkedIn and in, in the industry, we see you and Suncast as inextricably the same. And these other things that you do that maybe pay you more, like I was a field marketing uh, or like a, a, a field representative for a company um, that did ballasted trackers. Um, I helped another company that had, uh, well, a couple of companies that were software oriented for solar, another company that was a, a solar um, shade structure, beautiful solar, solar shade structure built right here in, in North Carolina. And I had this fear of claiming Suncast as my main thing, right? Um, because it didn't feel like it was worthy of, of being called work in the industry where work looks like putting physical objects on roof and, and racking products to harness the sun, the sun. Right. But I realized, and that feedback was really instrumental because I realized that the work I had begun doing was taking everything I'd learned for 12 years prior and converting it into an invitation to more people to be in this industry than we're in this industry. And it turns out one of the top things that we hear right now with the IRA and um, I'll say, you know, the, the, massive expansion of our industry as a result is a scarcity of human resources. And so that gave me the freedom to really lean into something I had been afraid of that. In fact, I had built a human resource tool rather than a, a networking tool. And to kind of tie it all together, there's a great story as a result. When we published the episode in, I think, December 21, maybe December 22 with Carrie Hayes, uh, well-recognized leader in the U.S. Uh, solar industry, been with REC for decades, it feels like, um, and himself has a tremendous story. Something really fun happened. Carrie reached out to me about six months later. Well, it, when it published, he said, geez, dude, this thing caught fire. Everybody's te texting me. Um, you know, what a great tribe you've got. And um, it was the first, it was really, truly, honestly, the first time that a guest had said, holy crap, I'm getting a ton of exposure from this. And that itself was meaningful because it was just one of those um, you know, mile markers. It was like, hey, you get to see your painting hanging in the, in the museum and there's a crowd of people standing around it. It's not just there on a wall by itself. But he said, this kid, Sebastian, reached out to me and I want to tell you the story. The guy listened to the episode, saw a little bit of himself in Carrie. Carrie, being open and honest about how uh, he wanted to mentor and how direct and easy it was to connect with him, he shared his email and his phone number. And this guy, Sebastian, messaged him and emailed him and called him and said, Carrie, I want to be you. He didn't say, I want to be like you. He said, I want to be you. 
I want what you have. I want to, can I work for you? And Carrie said, on the spot, he hired the guy. He's like, absolutely. Um, he came from an investment banking background. And if you listen to Carrie's episode, which I highly recommend, you'll understand why um, Sebastian Lang saw a lot of himself in Carrie. Sebastian was coming from uh, an investment banking background like Carrie. Knew he wanted to get in the solar and said, this is going to be amazing. Now, Sebastian has now been at REC. I'm going to look Sebastian up while we talk here for, I think, a couple of years. I just ran into him when I was in Boston, RE+. And he is now full-time inside sales manager for almost a year. This is a guy who came from Citigroup as, a, as their green team member for three years. Now, think about this. He was at Citi, a massive bank, as a senior analyst and as a Citi Green, Citigroup green team member for almost six years. And now he's an inside sales manager at REC. I mean, his friends at Citigroup must think he's crazy. By all, by all appearances on the outside, he took a demotion. But it's, I've heard that story a, a dozen or more times in the time that I've spent putting Suncast together. And that is, to your original question, the kind of direct feedback that motivates and empowers us to continue with Suncast Media, building a bridge for folks like Sebastian who want a career in clean energy at all costs. They're willing. They're willing to find the people like Carrie because we've highlighted them and told their story. They're willing to look for them. They're willing to reach out to them. They're willing to follow them into the fire, right? And I mean, think about it. When Sean, you and I were, were, you know, 15, 20 years younger, there really wasn't a medium like YouTube or TikTok or podcasts that would, that would give us a representative sample of leaders that we could follow that made them accessible. But candidly, like without LinkedIn, I don't think Suncast would exist. <laughs> so it's, it's the ability to put all these tools together. And also to build a remarkable network that is what helped uh, create a platform and, and elevate all of the folks that I've been able to, I've been privileged to have conversations with for the last almost eight years. No doubt. And, and that confluence of, of, of factors, uh, of things utilized along the way, LinkedIn, network, et cetera, it very much shows. And, mm-hmm. you know, Nico, I, in hearing your, your, your story uh, about Sebastian and, and, and Carrie, I, I can't help but think about my, my own story, my own kind of initial foray into this energy world, this beautiful world where we are all in the arena striving, striving together mm-hmm. to advance the ball down the field. As you know, I, I previously worked for Voltus and in the lead up to joining Voltus, I was listening to your interview with one Greg Dixon. And that was part of my study material as I prepared to, to interview. And, uh, you know, all I can say is, uh, you know, look at us now. I love that, man. That episode, by the way, and the Four Horsemen of DERs, for me, stands in the canon of great episodes. Uh, and I'm grateful to our mutual friend, uh, DR, who helped make it possible. Uh, but I want to just enunciate that what you just highlighted for us has become something that is truly the cornerstone of why Suncast exists. I never imagined, and this is back to Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art, create create because you don't know how or who 
it will inspire. I never imagined that someone would use an episode that I was creating to prepare for an interview for a company. And one of the other cool stories that was in fact, the first one like that was, uh, and I can't remember the guy's name, Sean something, got a job with, um, with Nicola Power, not Nicola, the truck company, but Nicola Power out of Boulder, uh, JW Postal. And the reason he got the job, he wrote me and said, I got this job because I listened to JW's episode and I nailed the interview. JW was so impressed and he asked me, how did I know so much about the company? And I said, because of the Suncast interview and I got the job. And that moment, hmm, I, I'm going to look up when the JW episode was while we're talking here, but that moment was for me a magical moment of like, whoa, this is really cool. Um, how do we, how do we communicate and convey this? My team are still trying to help me think through like, how do we actually build this content in a way that is better searchable, better find, like the better we are at getting found in Google, the more likely we are that people like Sean will leave the entertainment industry and find Voltus and, and get jobs there. Like you're doing amazing work. And the, the fact that Suncast played even the smallest role in helping you uh, prepare for entering into this industry is for me um, a, a huge accolade and testament uh, sort of proof point that Suncast has a place in this world and needs to exist. Thank you for that. Thanks for sharing. Well, that's just it, Nico. And, and from my side, I you know want to reiterate my gratitude. And uh, frankly, that it's an honor to be here now as I remark Thanks. on the journey it's been since you know pivoting my career from you know working mm -hmm. on a cruise ship, hosting game shows and trivias uh, to now speaking with you uh, about this yeah. um what I would argue is the most exciting industry to be working in on the planet uh, here, here. In, our, in our effort to save this very planet. You allude to access, Nico, and I think that really hits the nail on the head, right? There are legions of folks that are um, perhaps curious about working in clean tech. Mm -hmm. um, they may have applicable skills and they're not quite sure how to bring them uh, into the arena alongside us, alongside these solar warriors. And I think conversations that, that you have, which provide that access on this platform are serving to not just help folks prepare for interviews, but they're serving to help folks understand just how, how wide and, and vast the opportunity uh, to join the fight really is. Now, mm -hmm. As a listener, I, I go to Suncast for access to these these conversations. I'd say the best conversations in energy. In fact, you more than anyone I know has spoken with some of the greatest minds in clean energy. And and mm. I'm curious as a listener, Nico, who are some of the people in your boardroom? Who who are a few people that perhaps you confide in when, when seeking guidance for making an important business decision uh, for Suncast and, and as you advance yourself? Mm. It's really interesting that you use that term, right? Um, one of the books, as we often talk about books um, on the show, that had made, made an incredible impression on me is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. One of the things that he talks about, for those who are unfamiliar with Sean's nod to the boardroom, is uh, to build a boardroom. Um, in fact, uh, it's also mentioned, in, if I'm not mistaken, in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, as a cornerstone of successful business person, build a boardroom, um, real or imagined. And they can be folks that are currently in this world and fo or folks that have previously been here and uh, whose spirit continues to guide us. So I have a mixed boardroom and truthfully, it's people who some, some of whom I've, I've never met like Seth Godin, but whose writing has massively influenced 
how I think about the way I approach my work and my business and the way I show up in the world. Another is Andrew Carnegie. Um, when I, if I think about the folks I've not met yet uh, that I hope to someday, and uh, obviously Andrew would be a spiritual mentor uh, in terms of not being able to meet him who has passed on. Uh, but here in the in in the flesh, uh, one of the guys who's had the most profound impact on my career is a guy named John Bonanno. He, more than anybody else, has kind of helped show me how to be me and and who who me is. He has had uh, a number of appearances on this show, but I think the very first one uh, was way back like episode 20 something. I'm going to see if I can find it really quick because he was one of the first like 30 or 40. He's not in our dashboard, but his story is impactful because he, in fact, uh, his life was changed because of 9-11. He is a serial entrepreneur, but also someone who's very in touch with the spiritual side of being and uh, has, has served as a, a coach to me and a mentor to me and many others in the industry. He's connected me with some of the most powerful people in my life. Um, another person who has shown up for me in in ways that they probably don't realize is Dan Sugar. So I'll often say to folks that Dan's a friend and a mentor. I've both learned from him uh, from a, from afar, as well as through the employees that I've interviewed, like Tara Doyle and Marco Garcia, that he's empowered. You know, Dan, one of his popular sayings is, no is a request for more information. No is a request for more information, right? Um, it's feedback. You know, he's one of the guys in our industry, one of the folks in our industry, the people in our industry who have categorically demonstrated what leadership and success look like. I had the great privilege to interview him. I think episode 38 or 48, one of those, I had a two-part interview with him. I need to get Dan back on. Kristen and I have talked about that. I've had so many uh, influences and mentors through the years. I almost feel like it'd be it'd be unfair if I were to look just look through the the catalog of folks. Um, I mean, two that come to mind very clearly who have had an outsized presence in uh, in the Suncast Canon. Andy Klump, you know, Andy and I worked uh, at different times, but together at Trina, and he's remained a close friend and confidant, mentor, advisor, um, and has himself built a great company in Clean Energy Associates. Uh, he's been instructive for me on how to build culture, even though those who've worked for him will know that his culture um, has been at times caustic. And, um, you know, I've had a chance to talk with him about what it looks like to cor make corrective action when you've built a culture that is a little toxic. You know, but you can't argue with success. He sold his business to Intertech and he did really well doing it by all accounts. And so he, he stands, uh, you know, as an example of what it looks like to sort of grow up in the industry. Uh, his mentor and mine, Bill Nussie, who wrote the book Freeing Energy, has for, for some reason taken a liking and, and um, taken me under his wing, so to speak. He's one of the brilliant entrepreneurs that have found their way into our industry, looked at from the outside, the solar industry, and said that is going to be the next big opportunity and approached it the way that he approached his previous opportunity in MarTech, which was to write a book about it and interview a bunch of people. And his podcast, Freeing Energy, is definitely one that people should be listening to. Um, but just listening to his podcast and then getting a chance to spend time with him, uh, episode uh, the episode from early December 
21, when he released his book, Freeing Energy, was is like a two-part episode or a three-hour draw. It was an unbelievable um, interview that is is worth taking the time to go listen to. Uh, but he's been a mentor and in particular has helped me understand how how the marketing industry works and has been really edifying at times where I have been perhaps down on myself about what we're doing and whether or not it matters. Uh, and then I think I'd be remiss to forget or, or leave out Jigger Shaw. Jigger has been, he was one of my early guests. He's someone who early in my career referenced, uh, like referred people to me as like to them, uh, to me as the Latam guy. Like uh, some of my closest friends I've met through Jigger. He, he tapped us, um, meaning Suncast, to help with the Biden inaugural um, uh, event that we put on uh, in concert with Clean Tech Leader Roundtable and Clean Energy Business Network back January of 21. And he saw the opportunity that um, that we were trying to to welcome in, which is to create stages in virtual environments. And uh, he's keynoted several of our, our summits. Um, but man, I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of those folks and, and many, many more who've been gracious to spend hours of their time on the phone with me in public display to allow others to see what it looks like to build a company in this industry, what it looks like to be vulnerable and admit mis- mistakes and failures, uh, learn from them and um, and have shared from their treasure trove of culture building the way that Greg Dixon did of how to, how to build uh, something that is worth sort of attracting talent like you, Sean, and like DR into this industry. Sorry, that was a long roving answer. I hope that it was useful. I could think of another dozen or two of uh, folks that have been mentors to me through this process, but it probably isn't fair. (laughs) Candidly, there's so many um, unbelievable people. I would like to actually point out Amanda Bybee and Tara Doyle, because if not for them, I would have uh, continued to wander in the darkness uh, as a cisgender white male uh, only interviewing stale, pale male uh, candidates. And uh, and Tara called me out on the rug in November of, of 2018 after I'd interviewed Tristan, Ari, and Larico. Um, at the time, they were all still at PVL, and I think it just joined DNV. Now it's back at PVL, and Tristan's doing amazing there. But she and Amanda helped reorient my thinking that this there's so many females that are doing amazing things uh, in this industry. You know, just to point out one who... Uh, Matt Campbell from TerraBase just messaged me. He's like, dude, this inter- interview with Emily Cohen at Primergy is legit. And he's exactly right. Like women like Emily Cohen need to be elevated. Women like Emily Wangerman, two Emilys at ByteSource BP, need to be elevated in this industry to Catherine Rosaya to show what it looks like for in leadership, not just females in leadership. I just interviewed Catherine Hamilton yesterday, another industry luminary. And we talk about that episode will come out, uh, I think, before this one does, but that um, we talk about uh, the the powerful opportunity that women have to lead in the in, in Energy 2.0 in a way that they weren't invited to do in in the past iteration of this industry and this sector. Right. And remember, solar energy and the energy transition is, in fact, a transition. It's not a new energy sector. It's the same energy sector. We're just re envisioning, reimagining what the next century looks like for us to power our homes and our lives with electrons. Have you been curious about utility-scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. 
Its built-in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. You know, when you partner with our partner, Trina Solar US, you get more than best-in-class Vertex modules. You also gain a bankable partner for optimized compatibility and improved system value. With the Trina Pro Utility Scale Solution, or C&I Solutions, Trina Solar is the only PV module manufacturer in the United States that offers one-stop system integration solutions, including Trina Tracker, inverters, and full BOS support to lower your levelized cost of electricity. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey, can I borrow your attention for just one minute? How many of you in the residential solar install game right now would really say that your workflow is built to win? You know, in the 2010s, solar was all about sales. I think that the winners of the 2020s is really gonna be contractors that focus on operational efficiency. See, margins are getting squeezed and there's a ton of competition out there, but everyone has an opportunity to improve. Would you like to know the score of the value of your survey and design process? Would you like to hear about the evolution of the installer workflow? Well, then I would encourage you to join myself and my friend Jason Steinberg from Scanifly next Wednesday, the 31st of May at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Or maybe it's this Wednesday, or maybe you already missed it and you need to go see the replay at any point. You are going to benefit from the insights that we're going to reveal. The benefits of a tech-driven solar ops program, the transition from manual to digital surveys, it's all there. I hope that you will check in, tune in, register, and uh, throw us some hard questions. We always love it in our live broadcasts. Join us May 31st, 2 p.m. with Scanifly. See you there. It's great to hear you discuss you know, your, your prognostications on, on the boardroom mm-hmm. and, and how you go about utilizing your boardroom for not only, you know, decision-making as it relates to your business and platform with Suncast, but general life navigation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious on, on that note, kind of a related note to the boardroom, Nico, I think a lot of us listeners are familiar with you and, and clearly you do a great job of using your voice and, and platform to, you know, bring um, Emily and some of the other folks that you mentioned, um, you know, mm-hmm. to the fore, but who are some of the unsung heroes supporting you behind the scenes of Suncast to help make it happen? I'm so glad that you asked that actually. Um, and I, I guess it'd be, it's worth mentioning that while Sean and I, Sean and I reviewed several sort of lists of questions, uh, I don't know what questions Sean is going to ask me. And, and much of this is going to be off the cuff, uh, including this question. Um, but he's, he's right. And one of the things that I have actually begun to to realize and be self-critical about is I don't give enough credit to my team. And it's not intentional. Uh, it's often just as ADD sufferer who's doing too much, I am going too fast. Um, but Suncast would be nothing and it would definitely not be where it is today, what we've achieved without a team. It is definitely not just Nico in the same way that Next Tracker isn't Dan Sugar. So I, over the years, have had a number of amazing uh, staff. If if you've interacted with Suncast through the years, you've heard the names Ludovic and Alex, several Matts, in fact, um, and uh, Glenda Johnson, who was our uh, sort of our marketing manager and coordinator for a long time, contributed to the team. 
at any given time, there's somewhere between five and nine people. I don't know why there's never 10, but it's usually between five and nine people that are supporting Suncast in a full or part-time role. Right now, uh, we have an amazing operations manager, Jeremy, um, and I couldn't produce the show without Herman. Uh, many of you have probably in- interacted or engaged with Herman Chalet. Uh, he has been with us for the longest uh, tenure in the company To uh, for those who are still sort of actively, actively engaged. Actually, I'd, I'd say I, would, I will correct that. The person that's been with Suncast longest is Chris, the editor. And lots of the guests are familiar with Chris, the editor, because you talk about him as though he's in the room while we're doing the interviews. Chris is listening to this now with a smile on his face because I've referred to him so often. And I really, literally, if there's one person I could not have done this without, it's Chris. Uh, Chris is from Australia, and I met him through a third-party outsourcing platform uh, where I ended up ultimately being able to take uh, my work direct with him. And he's produced more than 500 of these episodes that everyone is listening to. He's the magic behind the mic. So, you know, we've got Chris and Jeremy and Sean. Many of you have engaged with Graham Whitley, uh, who I affectionately refer to as my chief of staff. People laugh because we've got such a small company. Why would I have a chief of staff? But honestly, I'm, I'm too um, distracted to be able to even run the day-to-day from a staffing perspective, an HR perspective. And so Graham has been a great ally and right hand. Um, my wife, Betsy, uh, has been such a beautiful, um, silent, steady hand in the business, helping in tremendous ways, not only just for motivating me, but she's seen this dream come from from nothing, from an idea to something that keeps providing for our family and keeps her uh, in a position where she can stay home and homeschool our children. You know, fun fun story about, about Betsy. When I told her, I was at the time working for Connergy. I said, hey, I think I want to start a podcast. And at the time I thought I was going to do it on um on kite surfing. Most people know I'm, I'm a kite surfer and um, it's like my, my one sort of hobby passion outside of running. But I always knew I wanted to do something on uh, a tangential sort of conversation that in a sector that was going to grow kite surfing, becoming um, the fastest growing uh, sport in the world before pickleball. And I thought I would do kite surfing. She simply said, when I said, I want to hire a coach, um, which it, we could do a whole episode on the importance of hiring a coach. It was going to cost me five grand. And she said, great, right out of business plan. It's my wife. I love her. She's like, let me see how you plan to actually get that $5,000 back. Um, I don't care how long it takes. Just write out a business plan. Show me what it looks like and that we're not just pissing money away on uh, yet another hobby. And um, so she's been an incredible ally. And we've turned that $5,000 into you know more than a half a million dollars in revenue just from the podcast alone. I'm proud to say that I'm one of the few podcasters. And I say this not out of... Um, not out of ego, but out of just sort of you know, point, point of fact. And a lot of folks that have come to me and asked kind of how do you do it. One of the few podcasters with a very niche podcast who is able to make a living from it. You know, we've got a bunch of other folks uh, that have now sort of teamed up with us, including John Bonanno, Artem on our sales team, Brittany on our sales team are doing incredible things like really helping communicate to companies in the industry, how we can help tell their story in different and remarkable ways. Um, and um, if we have time, we can talk about Karim, uh, my business partner, um, we're working on some other fun things, but our team continues to grow and it ebbs and flows. We've got a tremendous writer in Noreen uh, who has been writing in the energy sector for more than a decade. And she's phenomenal, very seasoned writer. Um, we've got a handful of other folks that contribute ad hoc uh, to lots of different projects, um, video and otherwise from Edgar. I mean, the list goes on, dude. The reality is like to build a business it takes a core team, but in, in today's economy, you have to build a bench of talent. That actually was something that I learned like circa 2019 is that I had to go out and build a bench of talent. I had to have more than one writer, more than one 
um, producer, more than one, you know, web designer, um, more than one graphic designer, so that so that I could scale forward and backwards as demand required, um, either because I had this crazy idea to do multiple interviews uh, in a week, uh, or because we were going to do an event or or what have you, right? So, in the 21st century economy, you've got to be able to build a foundation and systems that support a team, and then surround yourself with people that that are able to get shit done, but that also embrace uh, the culture that you want and that are kind humans that can welcome others in, that can provide the kind of environment that fosters growth. Uh, you know, what we're trying to do here is educate and, and encourage people to uh, join the the path of Solar Warriors. And uh, my team does that in remarkable ways that often go unnoticed and, and are are silent. So I just want to take a moment. Thank, thank you, Sean. Take a moment to thank my team. Um, especially the core team that's always uh, just always there helping row the boat, many of whom I've mentioned here just now. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. And and kudos to your team, Nico. Uh, you know, I had a few interactions with them uh, on, in the lead up to uh, getting here in this conversation today, and I have nothing but but great things to say. And it's, it's really quite cool as a listener to hear about, um, you know, the different folks that you've assembled that help uh, create what we ultimately consume. And that is information that, that's helping us run our businesses better, navigate our careers better, find ways to contribute in more meaningful ways, mm-hmm. more effective ways. I want to highlight that Herman's in the chat here. I just noticed uh, pointing out Bill Nussie's episodes are episodes 421 and 422. Just want to make sure you guys go back and listen to Andy Klump's episode 500 and Bill Nussie's 421, 422. I think those are w- well worth listening to. <laughs> Indeed. And, you know, in, in, it's funny, Nico, in the lead up uh, to, to speaking with you today, I, I myself went back and prior to, to Suncast even being on my radar, went back and listened to some <laughs> episodes from the earlier days. Um, something that you, you said that kind of stood out to me in episode 100, actually, was you mm. talked about the solar industry still being in diapers. Mm. And uh, I kind of tucked that quote, filed it away in my brain. I can't help but think, what say you about where we are today? Would you say we're in you know, pre-K, elementary school, yeah. middle school, somewhere else? As a point of reference um, to consistency, this episode 600 is going to publish somewhere around May 25th, I think, uh, maybe July, maybe June 1st, 2023. Episode 100, I just went back and looked, published July 26th, 2018, fully five years prior, um, or nearly exactly five years prior. And uh, it was hosted uh, and led by my friend Scott Sullivan, as I recall from the backyard of our mutual friend Scott Muller in, uh, in Little Hill, El Cerrito, California. You know, at that time, 2018, the industry was very much still in diapers. We were in a parabolic growth curve that was fueled by oil being, well, being very volatile, but at all time lows, while at the same time, solar module pricing and battery pricing were dropping faster than any of us had ever expected. The industry didn't have, like, we just didn't have the kinds of companies that were, that we would consider to be kind of like world-class global multi-billion dollar businesses, right? We might've had a handful, right? At the time, as I recall, Sun Edison had just failed, after being a, a, a tremendous sort of example or success in our industry of what it looked like to grow and be acquired by MEMC, Solar City had gone public, and then around that time I think got acquired by Tesla. Sunrun had gone public. Vivint, uh, I believe, had been acquired by Sun Edison. Had <laughs> had divested. Um, you know, a lot of the companies that we now look to today, like Next Tracker, hadn't gone public. ATI had not gone public. Shoals had not gone public. I can name all the companies now that are publicly traded companies. 
at the time, it was really only solar panel manufacturers that had gone public. And it was mostly the big Chinese companies and a few like First Solar and SunPower that were examples in the public eye of what it looked like to have a professional corporate environment. And the rest of the companies were super scrappy, um, mostly startups of folks that had come out of the tech sector, folks that had come out of uh, uh, construction and um, were quietly building businesses that today are massive businesses. Uh, we are very much no longer in diapers. The solar industry is a very legitimate, credible industry with trillions of dollars flowing through it. And I think is the most exciting. Um, and I would add solar and storage and electric vehicles kind of all in the same bucket of what we consider to be the energy transition. Um, solar uh, energy storage EVs are on the cutting edge. DERs, the kind of stuff that you guys work on with battery storage is, and, and Voltus does as well, um, uh, is cutting edge uh, and and is creating an opportunity like we haven't seen in decades for both wealth transfer, but also career transfer. Folks that are coming out of oil and gas and what we call energy 1.0 or traditional energy, folks that are coming out of tech in droves uh, that recognize the opportunity to leverage to leverage tech, to improve on the processes and the systems, to connect EVs and batteries and electric and solar, the house, all the the internet of home uh, is all going to be driven uh, by technology. So, are we still in are we still in diapers? Not by a long shot. Um, right now, we are very much. Uh, I would say, if I further the analogy, we are uh, kind of a, a, a teenager ready to go off to college. Right? There's a lot we still don't know, but we've got a firm foundation, um, and we are really well prepared for the growth that that's coming. Um, in my view, I would echo that sentiment, uh, Nico. And you know, for for what it's worth. Uh, I, I didn't really mention too much of this at the outset in, in introducing myself, but you know, I'm I'm over at Peak Power where we deploy, operate, and optimize battery storage, grid interactive buildings, bidirectional electric vehicles under a single software platform, and uh, I'm I'm very much seeing this as well. In fact, in in the wake of NEM three rolling out in California, it's very clear that the future includes a lot of storage and a lot of solar, and so I think you you really put it quite well when you say that, you know, we're, we're on our way uh, to college where, you know, you might uh, say run into a girl who's studying abroad when you didn't know studying abroad was a thing, wander off to Spain and have your life changed once more. You've listened to many episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Nico, I want to take us uh, kind of back to uh, Suncast itself. And this is one of the questions I think I was um, most excited to, to ask you. Um, you talked about your team. You talked about some of your observations a- along the way. And, um, you know, we, I think we're getting kind of a sense as to what you see from your vantage point. What I'm curious about is some of the challenges you're facing. And maybe you can refer to some of the challenges you've overcome along the way. But, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges you're facing at Suncast right now? And how are you going about mm-hmm. tackling it with with your team? I think it's it. We're in a time in media where everyone wants to be in the industry of, uh, or everyone wants to be in podcast. Podcast has never been easier to to do. I think video appears on the surface to be very easy and it's not. So we're evolving to be video first. Uh, I often think about how uh, Mark Zuckerberg said uh, at one point, like Facebook will be mobile first. <laughs> and it kind of rocked the internals of, of Facebook and Suncast has always been audio focused and it took Facebook a while to become more mobile first. When I said um, 
towards the end of last year, I want Suncast to be video first. I thought we'll do it by Q1. Um, we still are not at the place where we publish a video every episode, but I want to be. You know, I've got industry peers like Tim Montague who publish a video with every episode and um, my hat's off to them. It does take a tremendous um, sort of reset uh, when we've been producing for 600 episodes at a level of quality and high touch editing that makes video production actually very complicated. But yeah, my hat's off to uh, as well, Chris, our editor who has embraced the, 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 the request and we're now producing more video. I want to grow our YouTube presence. I think that um, what we're seeing in the industry is actually a lack of not long form, but short form content um, in particular, micro content that provides the appropriate level of um, engagement at the middle of the funnel. So I talk about this a lot with our customers um, or with our would-be customers that Suncast doesn't really help um, through the kinds of medium and, and media that we create to attract right at the top of the funnel. We're not creating as much awareness about the industry as we are um, conversion. So if you think about the, the sales funnel, at the top of the funnel is attraction. The middle of the funnel is, um, is education and um, objection overcoming. So where your F FAQs on your website sit, right? That's where um, a lot of your blogs sit um, because you've gotten them to your website and now you engage them. And I think that we as an industry have done a decent good job of creating content, but we aren't curating it to create what Karen, my business partner, would call education pathways. So we have a partnership with Karim on a project that I'll have Karim on here in a, a few episodes, I think, to talk about. I'm not going to disclose too much about it now, but really looking, starting with Suncast, at how do we take 600 episodes worth of content that is itself a treasure trove of information that is more than 36,000 minutes of content? How do we take that and turn it into actionable sort of takeaways I think that the answer there is not surprisingly by leveraging AI, things like uh, OpenAI, ChatGPT um, are just the tip of the iceberg of what we're seeing as possible in, in media. But the reality is that very few people are as uh, hungry and, um, and open to the idea as you and I are of listening to 90 minutes worth of content. So how do we carve out the 90 seconds worth that can really capture their imagination and invite them into, you know, five minutes or 10 or 20 minutes worth of content. How do we parse that into learning pathways that help someone know, not have to listen to an entire 60 minute interview to capture the 10 minutes to talk about energy storage. That was what they were looking for. How do we catalog that? It's a big gap right now in the industry. And I welcome anyone who's listening to, to reach out if they figured it out, because we need that help as well. Um, we're going to be building a team really focused on how do we catalog, not just within the Suncast podcast where we're starting, but at Clean Power Hour and any other podcast or video a channel that wants to sort of throw their hat in the ring, we're looking at how do we actually capture all that audio and video, catalog it, and create learning pathways for others, those who want to improve their career and their station, those who want to enter into, and those who also want to attract through this medium, the kinds of folks that are looking at making career change or are looking at transitioning from one company to another. Ultimately, I think that Suncast and, and our peers uh, at other at other media companies are education platforms. And most of that education is for, for occupational improvement or for career change. And, um, and that wasn't something that was readily apparent to me early on. 
Um, but I'm really grateful for um, it becoming clear to me now. We're trying to take strides towards inviting other creators into our ecosystem. We've created resource labs as a container for, you know, kind of uh, edifying and empowering that alchemy between creators, uh, creating a directory uh, for discovery, because that's very difficult. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that that we're working on. I'm, I feel like I'm losing my my way here on the question as well. <laughs> so I want to pause for a minute, Sean, and let you redirect. Yeah, thanks, Nico. Um, it's it's interesting. I, I really uh, like that terminology of education pathways or learning pathways, letting the audience kind of soak up some of this information and, and you know, acting on it as, as they will. Again, you know, whether that's a career pivot or advancing further into their career, um, I like to think of it personally along the lines of contribution, right? How can I maximize my contribution? Because ultimately what, what led mm-hmm. me to working in this industry was having my professional focus, the output of, you know, the proverbial nine to five, uh, be mm-hmm. in line with what I care about personally. And that's fighting climate change, right? I view no greater threat to our species. And I think you, you see things um, pretty similarly. Um, with that in mind, you know, what would you say uh, to what the solar industry needs and, and how you're helping to deliver it? And I think you just kind of alluded to this with this you know, idea of having it be somewhat condensed, perhaps, you know, as opposed to a 60 or 90 minute interview that someone can kind of tap in and yeah. receive something that, that pushes them along or nudges them, uh, you know, in, in the right direction, so to speak. But I'm curious if you have any additional, additional thoughts on that. And um, I guess, secondly, you know, what skills do you think a solar warrior needs to be driving toward that vision? In our coaching program, um, uh, Mission Minded, we start out acknowledging two things. One, in the current environment, um, the current work environment, Companies need to recognize that folks aren't looking to be associated or identified as a peak power employee or a first solar employee. It is Sean Tanabe, Inc. It's Nico Johnson, Inc. It just so happens that at certain points in our career, we sole source all of our our captive capacity to one company. We call that employment, but it's really, uh, it's a mutual agreement, mostly around uh, a tax (laughs) sort of situation, right? Um, a W2, W4, I can't remember because I haven't had one in a while, but W2 uh, here in the Amer- in America, that makes it easier for a company to provide us with benefits and security and safety. But ultimately, uh, you know, it used to be looked down upon folks that would have a year here, two years there, three years in another place. In, in the tech industry, it's not looked down upon at all. They're look they're looked upon as as stepping stones and milestones in a career. You go from one company to another, picking up tools, and that makes you Sean Tanabe Inc. That gives you uh, marketability in the marketplace, and that's what I try to teach people: is that you have to consider your transferable skills mix. One of the greatest lessons that I've learned in all six hundred episodes is from um, John Shimanis from Kindle Sustainable Infrastructure. He says, if you're thinking about a career change. You uh, have the opportunity to change your sector or your industry um, or your um, your skills focus, and, and you should never do both at the same time. So what does he mean by that? Well, perhaps you are a finance person focused on the construction industry. Well, if you're coming over to the solar industry, it's slightly different from the construction industry. But let's just, let's just say pharmaceuticals, right? Like let's say you're finance and pharmaceuticals. 
the, you have the opportunity to change to marketing and sales in pharmaceuticals or finance in solar, but you shouldn't try to change to marketing and sales in solar, right? Don't try to change the same two things at, uh, or two, those two core pieces of infrastructure at the same time. But if you haven't done an analysis of an evaluation of your transferable skills, it's often difficult to know where you offer value. So in our coaching program, we walk people through how to identify your transferable skills. I have a worksheet on it. I have hours of coaching that I've done for clients on how to identify in that, that matrix and how to use it to pick the right uh, sort of next field of focus, like how to hone what you're looking at. Is it a battery company? Is it, am I thinking about like a technology specifically? Or am I looking for a culture specifically? What do I have to offer those companies? I mentioned Sebastian Lang uh, a while ago. He very clearly realized that he wanted to, uh, he wanted to offer uh, his skills to a, a manufacturing, like be at the top of the food chain, kind of like I had said when I was at Trina that it offered for me. I said that in previous interviews and he was willing to move from, from finance to solar and take a demotion in all intents and purposes, like to be in inside sales because he recognized he was going to change both of those parameters, but he was very clear about the other key thing, which is follow someone, right? Like I've said to folks many times, go find someone that you can follow. A lot of folks have gone to uh, Next Tracker as an example, because they wanted to follow Dan Sugar, Marco Garcia, and the other amazing leaders in that company, right? Uh, we talked about Dan, uh, Greg Dixon at Voltus. He is an, he's a dynamic, uh, charismatic leader. People come to Voltus in many, uh, on many occasions to follow Greg. He had a tremendous uh, track record coming into Voltus. So either figure out how you can directly contribute um, a very specific skill set and or find someone to follow who will let you experiment. I think what the industry needs is to recognize that it doesn't, that we are creating our own inflation by poaching skills, uh, talent from our own internal talent pool, giving someone who doesn't grow in skill set a higher paycheck just because you want them to do for you what they did for your competitor does exactly that. It creates inflation unnecessarily in our industry where we have to continually pay people with the same skill sets more money because we're afraid to go teach others outside of our industry how to do that job. And we're afraid to slow down long enough to teach and train people or to codify and characterize exactly what the standards are for that job. The operations and maintenance sector of this industry is a great example of that. I've talked to my friends at NovaSource about this, right? And they're creating a tremendous resource that is meant to help standardize what it means to be a tech one, a tech two, tech three, right? Because if we don't slow down and do that, then as an industry, we have several false assumptions. One is that it just takes too long to teach people and you need to be specialized in solar, which itself is a, is a self-refuting um, argument. Matthew Hankey at New Industry Equity said that he's proven that it's more cost effective to go get people from outside the industry and it takes less than six months to bring them up to speed. Often it's usually two to three months. Um, we've had Isha Rege on the show who went from college to being a, um, a senior engineer at uh, New Energy Equity and also testified to the fact that like these things are knowable and learnable. Our industry isn't, isn't rocket science. What we need in this industry are learning pathways. We need apprenticeships. I mean, we could talk all about the money in the IRA just dedicated to apprenticeships. If we had time, I did talk about that in depth on the solar podcast with, uh, with Chris Anderson. I talked about it in depth with Tim Montague on Clean Power Hour a few weeks ago as well. I'd encourage folks to go listen to that episode. 
But what we are lacking is these education pathways. It's something that Karim and I are trying to work on as well through the existing content. But on the other side are companies that are willing to open up apprenticeships, to to open the possibility that you don't have to have five years solar experience to do a job and that the recs are being written improperly and that it's in, it's an unnecessarily increasing the the hurdle, the threshold for companies to expand their teams because each individual person we're paying too much. I hate to say that that that, that is that that is true because there's a lot of people potentially listening, thinking, "No, don't say that, man. I I, I deserve my three hundred thousand dollars salary." Well, you don't deserve it any more than anybody in tech deserves it, just because just because Netflix is tossing billions of dollars at twenty four year olds uh, to 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 code their platform doesn't mean that they deserve it. It means that the industry is awash in cash, and we need to find out a better way to to funnel that cash to to build the business better. So. I could, I'm, I could get off my high horse on that, but I do believe that there's a lot of opportunity in this industry and we need to believe more in people's fundamental ability to learn and we need to open pathways for them to learn inside of all companies. And companies like mine are, are going to do our best along with you know our friends at HeatSpring and Solar Energy International and, uh, and many others who are creating education platforms to attract and empower and equip the labor force that is going to build energy 2.0, right? I, I couldn't agree more, Nico. I think, um, you know, the idea of, of just opening yourself up to some of the learnings take place and how it unlocks not only the ability to level up, but, but to, you know, again, bring others with you, right? Carry the baton forward and, and add to, to, you know, your tribe, as you would put it in solar warrior terminology. Um, we've got, you know, our mutual friend here, DR, David Richbaum, uh, hanging out with us uh, in the audience for this. Uh, and he made a great point, right? Great leaders tend to generate great followers who learn to lead. And I can attest to that again firsthand, right? I didn't have energy experience prior to joining Voltus and uh, was fortunate enough to have an opportunity uh, to learn all about the demand response industry from none other than Greg Dixon. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out uh, to the leaders of my current company, Peak Power. Derek Lim Su, CEO, Matthew Sachs, uh, Chief Strategy Officer, not to be confused with Matthew, with Matthew Sachs of Sea Power. There are two Matthew Sachs um, out yeah, in this ener en energy world um, who've been teaching me all about energy storage and how to pair solar plus storage for you know, CNI customers and help them reduce their energy costs and emissions, et cetera. You've made reference to uh, this this body of work. I, I can't help but but think about the production of the body of work when you when you talk about you know these long form podcasts and really having a chance to you know sit at the bar and have not one not two but perhaps three drinks as you get deeper uh, into you know all that that is and all that's relevant to to you know this world and and it truly is a world and I'm, I'm I continue myself to to learn and I try to open up as many learning pathways as I can as I advance down uh, I guess what you could call uh, safely a rabbit hole or rabbit holes. Nonetheless, you you made reference to this to this body of work in one of our our first conversations, Nico, and that really stuck with me as well. It stood out. Um, you know, in the beginning of this of this chat, we talked about you know the idea of sprinting toward 100 episodes, knowing from the outset that you'd want to create at least a thousand, a thousand plus. I mean, maybe there will be five thousand, ten thousand. Who knows what's possible, right? I I'd love if you could talk a bit about how you came to think of it in such terms. How you made that promise to yourself and perhaps uh, to your wife, to your kids, to your coach, to your teammates, as you look left and right, those shoulder to shoulder advancing the ball down the field with you, how you made this idea of, of the body of work come to fruition 
perhaps how it's evolved over time and, and why you chose to think about it in that way. Because I think a lot of folks may have an idea that they're really excited about and it may wane. I think that's a human experience that we've all, we've all had from time to time. And um, clearly you've been able to uh, push the boundary and, and level up beyond that. There's a terminology known in mostly the author, the writing world known as the resistance. Tim Ferriss talks about it. Stephen Pressfield talks about it. Uh, if you are a creator or aspire to be a creator, if you aspire to write anything, I would encourage you to go read two books. One called The War of Art and the other is called Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield. He's a prolific writer, um, but also a studier of human psychology. And, and he's written some tremendous books. I've mentioned three of them now because they've all three been really impactful for me. Uh, the third being Turning Pro. And they all reference the inevitability that it is not the singular piece of work that you're recognized for. For most people, it's the body of work. It is the culmination of proving that you have the grit to show up day after day and do something until you do it well. Lots of folks expect that after five, 10 articles, episodes, videos, they're going to get feedback that proves to them that they're either on the right path or they should quit waiting for the dopamine hit. And Pressfield says in, in Do the Work, he says, there's an enemy. There's an intelligent, active, malign force working against us. Step one is to recognize it. This recognition alone is enormously powerful. It saved my life and it will save yours. I'm going to keep reading here because it's easier than me trying to pretend that I um, kind of came up with these ideas on my own. Could you be getting in your way of producing great work? Have you started a project but never finished? Would you like to do work that matters but don't know where to start? That is the core of Stephen Pressfield's manifesto called Do the Work. And he says there that um, becoming a thought leader, becoming an artist, uh, or becoming a pro at anything is not about having better ideas. It's about actually doing the work. The weapon against resistance is taking action, successfully shipping projects time and time again. I'd say this to, I say this to my sales teams. I'm not interested in one great sales call. I'm interested in a hundred mediocre sales calls through which you learn the art of recognizing the moment in a call where a prospect becomes interested. And then you recognize how to determine if they can become a customer so that you don't waste their time and they don't waste yours. But you don't, you don't get, that's not like, it's, it's not something that you get from one, two, 10, 20 interactions. It's something you get from a thousand interactions. Best lesson I ever learned in my career came before I started Suncast. A friend who, uh, I, I'll let him remain anonymous, uh, took me out for lunch. And we were sitting at lunch and he said, Nico, you're a great guy. Really smart. You know the Latin, Latin America market. Um, but let me ask you this. I was living in Florida, working in Latin America, developing solar projects. How many solar projects do you see? Because I was at the time at Connergy trying to buy projects um, or develop them. How many do you see a, a week, a month? I said, a week? Uh, I might see five projects a month. And he goes, one a week. Okay, great. He said, you're going to get your ass kicked. <laughs> I was like, I beg your pardon? 
I'm one of the most connected people in the Latin American market. Like people who have projects bring them to me and he's, yeah, that's not the problem. The problem is that there are, just aren't enough projects. So you can't build the muscle memory required to be a leader and a manager of teams that do this. So you'll always be an individual contributor. So what's going to happen is somebody that's 10 years younger than you is going to become your boss because they have done a hundred deals last month because they've seen a thousand deals over the last six months, more than you'll ever see in your entire career of Latin America. So they've built the muscle memory, the pattern recognition to know quickly what success looks like. And that's why they're a manager because they help, they help ensure that their team isn't wasting time because they know in a fraction of a second what it takes someone who's junior to them a week to figure out how to solve the problem, how to get past the obstacle, how to move faster towards the goal. And ultimately, um, that is true for anyone who turns pro. You need to do something enough times that you build pattern recognition. And that is a timeless characteristic of anyone who does something great, right? But that ability to build that muscle and that pattern recognition requires that you put yourself in a place in your career that you have visibility to, access to hundreds, thousands of opportunities, deals, data points, not tens and dozens. And that's why it's important. That's why, you know, that's why my mentor said, dude, like your micro, your micro niche, like solar in Latin America is too small for a podcast, right? And I had to back up and say, okay, wait a minute, maybe I should focus on um, just solar broadly and how to build a company in this industry, uh, how to be a leader in this industry. That's what it means to, to, that's the body of work. That's what it, that's what it really refers to. It's overcoming the resistance and the resistance is for anything. Accountants have resistance, you know, um, <laughs> people in, in the field experience resistance, but if you focus on doing something well, then you build that muscle memory and the pattern recognition to know what, what right and what good looks like. As my friend Billy says, like, I just want to know what good looks like so that I can help the team recognize it faster. It's really quite cool to hear you talk about being perhaps a bit too specific, a bit too targeted in your initial days with Suncast, with your niche. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you had kind of an ideal listener, user, customer, member of the tribe in mind in those days and, and how that's evolved over time. Um, if you think about it, you know, very specifically, yeah. if you think about it broadly, how this person may obtain and consume information, how they mm -hmm. may go from a casual listener to someone that engages with the platform, et cetera. Yeah, early on, it was someone like me who was doing project development in Latin America and didn't have access to the people I had access to. And I said, you know what, I'll give them, I'll open the, I'll pull, pull, I say in the intro, pull back the veil. I'll open the black box and I'll give them access and entree to the kinds of leaders and thinkers that I was having access to. I've come to evolve thinking around that over time that the Sebastian Langs of the world are more the avatar folks who are looking at getting into this industry and don't know where to start. So we're trying to, as I said before, create um, content that compels people to find a, find a leader and mentor to follow, to find a company that inspires them to, through our content, identify whether they identify more with energy storage or electric vehicles or carbon capture or where in the sector uh, are, are they, are they a chemist or who can they align with that gives them insight on how to use their skills to tackle climate change? My preference and, and 
um, priority has been through solar, but that's not everyone's. You're in battery storage. Um, you know, DR is in uh, DERs, <laughs> distributed energy resources. Uh, my, my friend Costa, who's watching here, has been uh, across the spectrum and has evolved his own career from selling solar panels to brokering solar panels for others, right? So I think that it's really important to build around that avatar, but be flexible when you get feedback to evolve who that person is in my mind. But when I, when I record, I am thinking about the Sebastian Langs of the world. I am trying to think through, I, I'm, I'm asking questions to guests as though I were that avatar, right? And I'm trying to advocate on their behalf. And that's the mindset that I'm in. Um, one of my mentors has a picture of their avatar on the wall and they think about and speak to that person all the time, right? And every piece of content that they create and write is dedicated to helping that person. As you share that answer, Nico, I, I couldn't help but think about uh, another uh, reference you made earlier in this conversation about kind of the value of saying no and how no is, is an RFI. It's a request mm -hmm. for information. I think it may be enlightening for some listeners to hear, you know, what opportunities you were offered uh, since the inception of Suncast that you're glad you turned down. Um, I know in previous pods, you've, you've talked about mm -hmm. some of these uh, job offers, you know, six-figure salaries, leveraging um, your experience, your contacts, et cetera, in other ways. But I think, again, it, it may be interesting, maybe enlightening to, to hear um, some of these opportunities that arose that you're glad you passed on. I think the one that, <laughs> I think I kick my ass about all of them, honestly. Um, and that's just always constantly second guessing ourselves. The one that stands out the most uh, when I was in between uh, deciding what I wanted to do after, um, after I was let go, uh, they downsized, basically cut the entire team at Conergy. I used to say I left Conergy, but I was given the opportunity to leave Conergy um, uh, because they just didn't keep the Latin team on. And I was trying to figure out what to do next. Marco Garcia, dear friend, who's chief commercial officer over at Next Tracker, was trying to figure out their strategy for Latin America. And uh, this was, I believe, around the time of or before he hired Alejo. I think, I can't recall. But he said, hey man, I want you to help me in Latin America. And he sent me a picture <laughs> with my name on a piece of folded paper on a desk at the next tracker office. Now, this is circa 2016. It was exactly six months before Flex Tracker acquired Next Tracker or Flextronics acquired Next Tracker. I said no for a lot of good reasons. I won't go into them here. I knew categorically that Next Tracker was on a path to success and that they would become the market leader. I knew that if I took that job, like my friends who were currently there selling, I would probably earn well over a million dollars just in sales commissions. I knew that I would hate myself for being an employee. I knew that I would erode my relationship with Marco, who I consider a friend. I knew that I would potentially expose the fact that I'm unemployable to my mentor, Dan Sugar, and he would ultimately lose respect for me. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to endure that, honestly. And I didn't want to change who I am to try and be the kind of disciplined salesperson that Dan Sugar would be proud of, um, honestly. Um, there's a lot of truth and honesty for you. And uh, ultimately, um, I'm sure I left millions of dollars on the table because as we know, not only did Flextron Flextronics buy Next Tracker, but Next Tracker just went public a few months ago as the largest IPO on uh, on the Nasdaq in 2023. And a lot of folks that I'm friends with who built uh, their careers at Next Tracker um, are set. Like they've 
done really well financially and they've been a part of building a great company. That's one of a dozen examples I could give you of companies that I've personally been offered opportunities to work at where they either have gone public or will go public or have been acquired or will get acquired um, that would have changed my station in life financially. But I wouldn't have been able to reach as many people because I would have had to sacrifice my vision for Suncast and I would have had to put it on the back burner. It would have become a project again because I necessarily would have needed to focus on that client that I was sole sourcing my time to. And in the, um, in the greater vision of Nico Johnson Inc., um, I wanted and do want multiple streams of income. I wanted a broader, diverse audience. I, you know, I built the business. I built the product of Suncast so that I did not, I no longer had to hand my um, credibility over to the company that, that, that gave me coverage, right? There was a time where people didn't really know who Nico was. They knew the, the, Ladam, the Ladam Trina guy or the Ladam Connergy guy, right? Whose name was Nico. But my, my association was with a brand that was not my own. I just want to encourage folks. Uh, I mean, I'm inspired by my friend Tom Wyrick at EDPR. We did an episode not long ago on building your personal brand. I built Suncast because I wanted to have something that was durable and personal and that allowed me to engage in an, a marketplace that I love in a way that didn't jeopardize or, or force me to sort of subjugate myself to someone else's culture or desires. And that's a personal pathway and it's a personal selfishness, if you will. Um, but I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not afraid of the fact that I left millions of dollars on the table in pursuit of creating something that I hope will one day meet, reach millions of people. I think that answer will, will resonate with a lot of folks, Nico, as they themselves are, are asking themselves the big questions. Right. And, and I think hearing yeah. a personal anecdote like that will only add momentum to, to what one feels is right for themselves. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, we, we talked a bit earlier about the solar industry being in diapers and how they're, you know, ready to go off to college now in, in your mind. Um, you know, we talked a bit about uh, how you had this experience when you were in college, going to Spain, meeting this girl. Well, I guess meeting the girl preceded going to Spain, but that's what put it on your radar. Yeah. Um, funny enough, we actually, if we share that, I, I studied abroad in Spain myself yeah, in Granada. Um, no matter, I'm curious how you would talk a bit about how you would explain where you think Suncast is. You talk about durability. You, you clearly have, have shown that as we are in the midst of celebrating 600 episodes, which is truly remarkable. Mm -hmm. Where do you see Suncast? Where do you see your baby Suncast Media? Uh, do you see them in middle school, high school, straight A's, mm -hmm. valedictorian? I mean, how, how do you uh, kind of see the connection between those? Yeah, I don't think the, I think the analogy breaks down, honestly. Um, and I, I rarely think of Suncast in those, um, in that sort of framework or terminology. I'm too close to it. I'm too close to the subject to be able to make an accurate judgment. I'm routinely surprised. I think it surprises people that I'm surprised when I come to a show and people, my friends that I've known for years be like, dude, you're famous. Or they'll say, man, I see you everywhere. And you know, I have two answers. One is like, wow, really? And the other is, okay, it's working. <laughs> right. Um, I think that uh, there are those out there who have said to me and, and to others in my presence, Suncast is the number one podcast in the industry or Nico's the top podcaster. Um, ironically, 
while I will nod and smile, I think neither of those two are true. Now, as a media personality, that would seem uh, ridiculous that I would say those things. I should just close my mouth and nod and smile and let people give me the accolades. But I understand the data and I think that the ethical um, response is there are people who have much bigger audiences and platforms. They approach doing this work in similar ways and in different ways. And I aspire to be as impactful as they are. And if people ask me who they are, I'm happy to tell them. I'm happy to have conversations with people that where I say to them, and I've told, I've told uh, advertisers like, hey, look, if you're looking for a bigger audience, you should go talk to X or Y or Z. If you're looking for an engaged audience who we have um, vetted, who we understand, and we've and through uh, audience surveys, please fill out the audience survey. Through audience surveys, um, we understand what their motivations are, where they are in their business, and um, what what their likelihood is of caring about your product. I can serve that up for you. Um, we've been very intentional about curating our audience and we're going to increasingly do so. I think that we oh, have so much to learn about digital marketing. I didn't come into this as a digital marketer. I didn't come into this as a journalist. I laugh when people call me a journalist because that's not, I have no training. My friend, Julia Piper is one of the best journalists I've ever met. She's tremendous. And that's why she's a great podcaster. Uh, I am not a great podcaster in that regard because I don't look at this through the lens of journalism in a traditional sense. Um, but I've found ways to tap into how to build rapport, how to build a network, um, and how to be authentic. Those things matter. And I do think that we are head and shoulders uh, above the general crowd of podcasts and that, that we, uh, you know, my friend Tim Montague says that I'm his, I'm his aspirational peer. Um, I really appreciate and resonate with that because I built something that I wanted people to look up to. Um, but not because I wanted them to put me on a pedestal, but because I wanted, I know that I would have a target on my back and I wanted them to chase me. I want people to see Suncast and say, I can do that. If Nico can, I can. I welcome it. In fact, we built resource labs to say, I've built the tools and the team. And if you need help, give me a shot. Let me help you. Um, we'll be announcing here in the next few months, some incredible creators who are joining resource labs and bringing their podcasts into this, um, podcast network. And, uh, and it is the culmination of, uh, years of dreaming and, and working on how do I build tools, systems, team to empower a creator economy that creates, um, great educational tools and, uh, and can build audience and attention around a topic that we all care about. And that is climate action, right? So we got Suncast that helps people with their climate, with their clean energy career and, um, and helps point them in the right direction by shining a light on uh, clean energy founders and the businesses they've built. Uh, we've got Climate Avengers, which helps people uh, understand how to invest their time, talent, and treasure in climate action, um, in particularly through following stories of founders that are raising money and the investors who invest in them. Uh, building climate innovative companies like Mass Reforestation and Aether Diamonds and Yada. And to be announced, more uh, great storytellers that are coming into the fold that are both leveraging the platform that we've built and the tools that we've built to what I hope uh, to be able to call, to call someday, curate the, the, the single greatest directory of content in the clean energy economy. Um, you know, currently we call it resource labs. I don't know if that's the best name, but you got to give something a name. 
and eventually people start to like it. I wasn't sure about Suncast when we named it Suncast, um, and it proved a durable term. Um, I hope that I don't prove Bill Nussie, my dear mentor, wrong when he said, Nico, you're breaking the number one rule of marketing, never dilute your brand <laughs> um, by by going away from Suncast. And, and many have said, dude, why, why don't you just call it the Suncast Network? And it just didn't feel right. I didn't want my peers, uh, like you know my friend Tim, um, I didn't want to invite them into the Suncast Network when they see it in some way as competition. I wanted to create something new and say, hey, let's create another container called Resource Labs that... Um, that helps create the alchemy that allows us all to uh, increase, right? The rising tide lifts all boats. Um, my, we're we're going to win either way because we've built the tools and the team to help edify and empower those creators. And um, together, we're going to build the content that helps draw attention uh, and audience to the companies that are building the, in my opinion, the greatest industry of our time, uh, the energy transition, uh, energy 2.0 and, and solar is head and shoulders above the rest of the technologies as the technology that, um, that empowers that transition. So that's, that's what we're up to, man. It is, um, it is a really interesting time. We've definitely gotten out of diapers, but I don't think that we've evolved yet into uh, adulthood. <laughs> 100% Nico. And, you know, as we round third base here, uh, on our conversation today in celebration of 600 episodes, uh, I think it might be time for a little bit of a rapid fire. What's the first thing that pops in your mind if I ask you to name one of the coolest things you've ever done? Going swimming in cenotes in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. What would you say to a naysayer of the energy transition or, or folks that don't believe in climate change to try to help get them on board? Well, <laughs> to try and get them on board. Do you remember that scene where... Um, the, where the guy is holding Keanu Reeves uh, on the train tracks and the train's coming and he says, that, Mr. Anderson, is the sound of inevitability. <laughs> it's like ingrained in my mind. That's what I would say to them. <laughs> that's like, that's, that's, the, that's what I would say to them. And uh, I don't think that anybody who has, um, I have a lot of these dialogues with folks that are trying to um, rationalize in their mind the energy transition and, and climate change. Um I don't spend a lot of time with them because so much work has been done to prove that we are right and that this is inevitable. Um, I simply would point them to, honestly, I'd point them to um, Bill Nussie's book. Awesome. Uh, what uh, does your morning routine look like? Oh, Lord. Uh, I would love to know that I had a great morning routine, but I'll tell you my ideal one. My ideal morning routine is I wake up uh, at six o'clock. I mm, do, I have a supplement routine um, and I... Uh, make coffee, which itself is meditative. I then will meditate and do priming. I actually am a big fan of Tony Robbins and he's got this 15 minute priming that is unbelievably powerful. Um, and it allows you to, to really tap into gratitude. Um, I have on my calendar that on every um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I do yoga and meditation. Every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I go for a run. And on Sunday, I just kind of decide if I'm going to exercise or not. But having ADHD severely, I need exercise to be able to focus. And um, I have mentioned number, a number of times here that when I avoid um, or fail to meditate and, and run or exercise, um, I really fall into a sense of despair and anxiety. So my morning routine is very much um, anchored in trying to get movement. Uh, I try to spend some time with my kids. Part of my routine that I've never really acknowledged is I look for and hug and kiss each one of my family members. Um, and that's really important. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But I think that the most important thing to acknowledge about a morning routine is it starts the night before. So a good night's sleep. Um, I'm increasingly learning, especially if someone has, uh, who suffers from an autoimmune disease that is triggered from stress and lack of sleep, um, how important it is to prioritize sleep. I didn't always want to do that because I'm also an um, opportunity whore and I'll use that uh, as an excuse to go to every party and stay until the very last person leaves um, because I just love interacting with people, um, which is why I'm always late to things because I'm always um, overstaying at, at, at other engagements. Um, <laughs> this is a great example, but it starts the night before a great night's sleep. I try to get to bed by 1030 so that I can sleep till 6, 630. Uh, and then I usually, the other really important thing is I don't schedule anything on my calendar before 10 o'clock with the exception of recording episode 600 so that I can focus on getting my day um, sort of scheduled out before me and I can really enter in. I just found that I never would show up to the office before 10. I would never um, really enjoy my meetings before 10. So all of our team meetings start at 10. I have a, a few, uh, I have a couple of meetings throughout the week that I schedule before 10 o'clock, but my morning routine really for meetings perspective starts at 10. And that is because I like to be able to focus on that first hour, hour and a half, 90 minutes uh, sprint of the day um, from 830 to 10 on doing something that is that is intentional, deep work, even if that's clearing out my inbox so that I can focus on the rest of the day without the stress of it. And then that's the other is ideally I would um, try to get to inbox zero in the morning and then don't check my email really through the day. And I check it again at the end of the day. I couldn't agree more that the morning routine really begins the night night before. You know, I myself am I'm quite a night owl and have uh, come to empirically understand the value of, of resting and the intention for what you want to do with the, those moments when you first wake up, how you want to set yourself up for success that day, um, and so on and so forth. Um, you, you mentioned your family, kissing your kids each, each and every morning and having that be a part of your routine. Um, clearly, you're a family man, and it shows... Um, I'm curious on that note, you know, how have your life experiences led you to your home in North Carolina? Do you foresee yourself or your family living anywhere else? Oh, this is a good one. Um, and I think we'll probably maybe take one more. We are, as to, to, to my friend DR's point, we are not being very speedy here. Uh, I'm not good at speed rounds, which is why they're not a, they're not a feature of Suncast at all. Um, we have, I've lived, my kids made me count it up. I've lived in more than 50 places uh, in my life and uh, I'm only 43. So definitely multiple places in a year, um, having moved all of my possessions to multiple places in a year. So when we moved to North Carolina, it was to my, my wife, it was the day that I decided uh, to move here was the day that I got laid off at Connergy. I said uh, to my wife, you know, I've got good news and bad news. Um, the bad news is, uh, or the good news is I don't have to go to work tomorrow at the office. And without hearing the bad news, which was sort of inferred, she said, where are we going to move? Because she hated Southern uh, Southern Florida or, or yeah, um, South Florida. So um, we subsequently found out that we were pregnant with our third child and our family is all in South Carolina. We moved to North Carolina and Durham specifically because great coffee, uh, university culture, um, close to the mountains, close to the beach, pocket of blue and a sea of red, um, close enough to my family that we could drive to them, but that they couldn't drive to us uh, for dinner. <laughs> um, that they couldn't just pop in, and that it's that's important for a number of reasons. But we love the Carolinas and the pace of life in the Carolinas, the beauty of nature here. Um, but at the end of the day, in you know, in my mid thirties, we came to the conclusion we have to just decide to pick and call a place home. We are want we have wanderlust. We are travelers, and. We realize we can travel anywhere we want, but we have to always give our, we have to give our children a place they can call home. You know, even during the seven and a half years that we've lived here, or six and a half years that we've lived here, 
we've moved for a year to Mexico, but we call Durham home and North Carolina home uh, because we appreciate the proximity to family and the slower culture, uh, slower pace of life, um, while still being able to have access to the things that we appreciated and loved about living in Metro Miami and Oakland and uh, and Madrid and San Jose, Costa Rica. Nico, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on the much talked about Inflation Reduction Act. Not only from the perspective of, of you know, its obvious importance going forward as it's rolled out, uh, what you see that impact being from a policy front and how that'll trickle down to uh, all the other ways in which we're, we're uh, working on the ultimate problem or, or solution. Um, but I'm also curious if you could pontificate a little bit about if you had any foresight when you, you know, got the initial ball rolling with Suncast, um, if you had any inkling as to whether there'd be this thing called the IRA that would buoy all of us as we advance on our shared mission. Yeah. So in reverse order, no, <laughs> no insight whatsoever. When I started my solar company in 2006, uh, we had the California Solar Initiative, you know, SB1, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Million Solar Roofs Initiative. And that was all I had to go on for building a solar career. And when I sold it, started Suncast in 2015, we were five years into the American Reinvestment Recovery Act. And, um, you know, the Obama administration highly incentivized and invested in building the, um, the infrastructure that would become sort of the energy transition. The Infrastructure Act that had been in pro in progress for the last two years, like we've always had uh, the Dean Markley Act, we've had so many different policies. Our industry is built on policy. The investment tax credit being the probably the primary one, right? Produ pr production tax credit for wind, investment tax credit for solar, being the cornerstone policies that have helped ensure that solar was getting its just dessert, that that homeowners and investors were able to get an incentive to uh, deploy this new technology, you know, utilities playing along and helping out with net energy metering, treating solar generators like other electricity generators on the market. And when I saw that those, uh, that those things were, were possible, um, you know, I, along with hundreds of thousands of others, realized that this is an industry that is not going anywhere. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen a few uh, poss possible potential deaths uh, in the last, just in the last decade. Um, but the real pioneers are the ones who saw the possibility for this in the 70s and 80s and uh, persisted. Uh, and that consistency is why we are all here. The IRA is categorically uh, – so I said our industry is built on policy, and that is true. Nothing that we do is made possible save the hard work done by our industry trade associations and uh, industry leaders – going to Capitol Hill and so many state houses and advocating on behalf of this new technology that can transform the way we generate electrons and consume them and uh, build a resilient, reliable energy infrastructure and grid. Uh, but the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, as it uh, is now called, uh, which is um, has a lot of the components of the, infra uh, the infrastructure bill that preceded it, is the most significant climate legislation in history, I would argue, in the world. <laughs> the um, International Energy Agency um, – report from 2022 forecast global renewable power capacity to grow uh, by 2.4 gigawatts in the next five years with solar PV capacity set to nearly triple to almost that same amount of capacity, 2.35 gigawatts by 2027. 
It will surpass hydropower next year uh, and natural gas in 2026. It will surpass coal in 2027 to become the largest installed capacity of electricity worldwide. Solar is the tip of spear. It is the it will become not just the tip of spear, but the foundation upon which all other electrical power is um, is is based um, as the largest form of electricity generation. Uh, McKinsey Wood McKinsey Wood Mac uh, is uh, I've had some of their analysts on the show uh, to talk about their annual U.S. solar report. Uh, they predict strong growth across all sectors. The 84% increase in utility scale installations uh, is a tremendous, almost a staggering number for uh, for what's, what's to come. Um, and the bill, as we know, calls for a 10-year extension of the 30% um, investment tax credit. That is going to be a tremendous tailwind. Uh, that alone is a tremendous tailwind. The ability to do direct pay allows uh, public power companies to move to owning these systems instead of um, procuring through per- power purchase agreements. It allows nonprofits to own these systems instead of procuring through power purchase agreements. Um, it allows more ac- access to equitable energy for low to moderate income families. Um, and, you know, I mentioned it earlier, the education pathways, the need for folks to work in this industry uh, is um, is imminent. And recruitment into this industry is something that we are all responsible for. The IRA sets up uh, the possibility to increase the eligible um, incentives on a project if you have apprenticeships. Um, and it is an incredible need. Um, so the, the credit increases for developers who pay a prevailing wage and use a certain percentage of registered apprenticeship on their project. I think that that is a huge opportunity. I actually think it's one of the largest opportunities for the solar industry to really build uh, a credible workforce um, that is trained and credentialed and, you know, is able to accelerate and build the infrastructure that powers our lives. I've done a bit more in-depth discussion on exactly what um, I see in that, um, as I mentioned before, on the the solar podcast and a little bit when I was talking with Tim on his Clean Power Hour. So I'd encourage folks to go listen to those episodes. Um, I think lastly, the thing that has me excited um, in I never, I was such a naysayer. Uh, I worked at Trina, as many know, a Chinese manufacturer. Um, I was such a naysayer of whether or not we would ever have domestic manufacturing again. I've been in this industry since we had BP manufacturing here, um, the Twain Creeks facility down in um, Mississippi, the the um, the Shot facility down in Arizona. I mean, I've saw I've seen so many factories open and shutter, um, including you know the one the Shell factory that um, Solar World uh, has recently you know, downsized, if not shuttered. So many opportunities for us to domestically manufacture this product. The IRA is going is going to uh, give us at least a ten year run of domestic manufacturing. I think that's going to have a huge impact on um, uh, on our ability to build a, a right-sized industry here and um, and avoid some of the pitfalls that we have uh, experienced over the last 10 years related to logistics for building as quickly as we want and um, the trade wars that have happened between our country and others um, around, you know, who kind of, who owns what and who manufactures what and at what cost to those that, that participate in the industry. So I'm really excited about the domestic manufacturing. I think that it's durable. I think that we're seeing announcements all the time now. Um, I think uh, just today, Anel announced a factory. Um, we had it, we had uh, Jim Wood here for Seraphim, who's building a factory in, um, in Houston. 
uh, just so many opportunities coming for companies that are building domestically. Um, and you know, that not even to speak of the many things I could talk about around the hydrogen economy that is also going to be spurred by the IRA. The industry is growing at a breakneck pace. We need more talent. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, anecdotally, uh, it is just such an incredibly exciting time to be working in our industry. Just the other week, Mm -hmm. I was in Los Angeles, actually at the invitation of the Canadian Trade Commissioner of Los Angeles. So shout out to the Trade Commissioner uh, at a conference called Verde Exchange. And just as I have it at conferences I've attended before that one, I'm continually uplifted by how much activity, how much innovation I am seeing on a number of fronts, from hydrogen, as you mentioned, to energy storage, some of the the maritime technologies. There's so many ways, incredible ways, really, that people are attacking the ultimate problem. And I just find it so uplifting, so exciting. And in the wake of the IRA, with a clear public and private recognition that this is perhaps our greatest threat, our greatest challenge as a species, and demands attention, demands resources, demands human talent. Um, I'm just grateful that, you know, we, we have this opportunity still to go forth and uh, make this energy transition happen. Well, Sean, I'm grateful that you took the time to prepare and do this interview. It was a lot of fun. I usually will ask my guests how they like to be found. Anybody that wants to find me should already know how to do that. Uh, but there are there are all the ways that will be here in the show notes. How can folks actually connect with you if they're so inclined, Sean? Yeah, thank you for asking, Nico. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just linkedin.com slash Sean Tanabe. That's S-E-A-N. T-A-N-A-B-E and nod to my Japanese ancestry. Um, so would love to connect with folks on LinkedIn. I'm always eager to, to learn more about what's going on in the industry. And if you see any opportunity to work together, whether personally or professionally, um, please reach out. Just want to thank you again for, for the privilege, the, the opportunity to sit with you in this setting and discuss Suncast Media, Nico Johnson, and this beautiful energy world that we are in the midst of advancing for your 600th episode. It's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to our next conversation, my friend. My friend, the pleasure has been mine. I really enjoy the depth and level of thoughtfulness that went into the conversation. And I just want to say to all of those who listened all the way to the end, thank you for showing up. Uh, As I always say, you are uh, what you listen to and choosing to listen to us hopefully informs who you're becoming. Thanks for being intentional. Thanks for being intentional, Sean, uh, in the way that you show up in the world. Um, You're emblematic of the kind of person that I call solo warrior, the kind of person that is thoughtful, insightful, uh, infinite learner who is willing to face uh, their fear, uh, willing to reach out and ask for help, willing to offer to to host a conversation with me. And uh, I would be remiss to not also thank our dear friend, David Reichbaum, who connected us, uh, made this episode happen. His fingerprint is on Suncast in actually in many ways, um, and not the least of which is the connection with you and our uh, other mutual friend, Billy. So thank you, listener. Thank you, Sean. And uh, here's to 600 more. Here's to 600 more. All right. Well, that's a wrap on today's practical insights into my journey. And I'm grateful for my friend, Sean, and our mutual friend, DR, for connecting the dots, for helping guide and navigate this discussion. I hope that 
it was instructive for you. If you're listening here in the outro, you are a true uh, solar warrior and uh, fan of the show. I'm grateful. I never know who sticks around to, to hear the outro, uh, but I'm glad that you are here. I'd like to know what you have learned through six up 100 episodes. I'd like to know if anything that you heard us discuss here strikes a chord with you and how. Could you either direct message me or email me uh, or there are a number of ways. If you just look in the description uh, in your own podcast app of choice, you'll see how to connect with me. We'll have posted for sure celebrating episode 600. If you'd leave a comment in that post for how Suncast has been meaningful in your career journey, I would be so grateful if you would be willing to provide, like Sebastian Lang, a testimonial of ways that Suncast has been meaningful in your career. Uh, I would also love to know that. One of the easiest ways that you can do that is going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast. Leave your enthusiastic review and a five-star rating. It helps others find the show. And the more people we can reach, the more lives we can change, the faster we can grow this solar and clean energy economy together. As I've mentioned before, if you're eager to keep learning, well, you, my fellow Follow Math, can find all the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion, along with our social media links, the book recommendations that we've given that we didn't touch on in today's episode, but we will touch on more in days to come. At mysuncast.com, click on the show notes tab. And uh, I want to thank, as we always do, our sponsors who help make this show possible, who make it free to you. It's not free in the one very specific sense that it costs you your time and attention. You can learn more about the sponsors who support and empower us to reach you at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. It's also how you can learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, solar warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>